from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Happy Friday. It's Good Friday. And, of course, uh, for those of you uh, like me that celebrate uh, Good Friday or observe Good Friday, uh, what's good about this Friday is, according to our tradition, is that today is when Jesus was uh, punished, right, by the Roman soldiers. He was whipped and he was beaten and he had to pick up his cross, symbolic of uh, the sins that he bore for all of humanity, and uh, marches his way to Golgotha uh, and makes his way to be crucified. And as, as the scriptures have it, at 3 p.m. is when uh, he takes his final breath and he says, it is finished. So... That's Good Friday, and of course, we reflect upon that uh, tomorrow and Saturday. And then, of course, Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, uh, the um, celebration of uh, Christ defeating death and sin and being, you know, going from God incarnate to God in all of his glory and the Holy Spirit. Fascinating, fascinating story. And... uh, so big shout-out to everybody uh, celebrating Easter. Big shout-out to everybody celebrating Passover as well, uh, which uh, was yesterday, I believe, that began. And uh, every now and again, those coincide, which is really cool. All right. Well, anyway, it's Friday. And uh, the big story today, obviously, is always one of the stories we talked about last night because that's how it happens. We bring you the, you know, the, the stories as they're occurring in many times, in many situations. So yesterday... Um, some of the breaking news that we discussed on the program was that in Tennessee, there were two of three Democrat lawmakers that were ousted after storming the state house during a gun protest after some Christian kids were killed at a Christian school by a um, transsexual shooter. That was the, the, the backstory on that. And what ends up happening now is two of the three of these people were being disruptive and violating um, the rules of the house and faced expulsion by their colleagues. However, um, one of the members fell one vote shy. And in falling one vote shy, wasn't expelled. And when they said, well, why weren't you expelled like they were? And some are suggesting that it was because they were using bullhorns and actively disrupting and breaking the rules of the house while this was happening, and she wasn't using a bullhorn. And that was what it came down to for the member that didn't vote, uh, putting her over the top with her expulsion. And her response was, maybe it's because of the color of my skin, with the other two members being African-American men and her being a white woman. Now, again, one vote is what we're talking about. Now, I could see if they all did the same thing and they said, well, let's go ahead and expel the two black guys, but not the white lady. 
Let's not expel her. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's exactly what they did. No, it's not exactly what they did. They took a vote to expel all of them. And the vote for her came in one vote shy. So somebody could try to go on a, on a really big limb here and um, become a, a Olympic-class gymnast with the mental gymnastics needed to say that this is uh, an outright case of racism. But if that were really the case, then why would, she even, why would they even be taking a vote on expelling her? Right? Now, so I think the bigger argument here is the one that uh, President Obama is posing, saying that silencing those that disagree with us is a sign of weakness, not strength. And I hope that they listen to President Obama's admonition on that when they decide that whether or not to put a gag order on former President Trump as part of this trial. They should say we shouldn't be silencing the people that we disagree with, just like President Obama said. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course, because I have a feeling they're going to say, no, no, it's actually going to be a great idea to silence Trump. The people we can't silence are the people that, you know, are Democrats. And, and this is why I don't believe them. If I did, if I did believe what they were saying, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But I think it's, uh, I think it's a mistake to, to drive this wedge. And again, this happens time and again. And why not? It's a very clever... Um, it's a very clever and opportune scenario for people, right? Or opportunity, I should say, to, to say, well, look, we've got the two black guys got expelled and the white lady didn't. So it's clearly racism. I just can't say that I agree. I would say if it was clearly racism, they would have said, oh, we're not going to even consider the white lady for expulsion. Bottom line, punto y final. So... That's my take on that, and we have some audio on that, and when we come back, I'm going to play some of the audio on that so that you could hear what they're saying. Uh, I don't have any audio of anybody challenging that, so um, I'll try and get you both sides of that story as we move forward. But again, I think it's safe to say if there's a rule in the House that says you can't disrupt during a hearing and whatnot, and we've seen that, right? They put Peter Navarro in jail for, for not answering a question. Right? He was held in contempt of Congress. So clearly these people could have been held in contempt and they were told to stop and this and that. And this is why they were expelled. So um, I think we have to take all of this into account as we you know, adjudicate this in the court of public opinion. Anyway, I want to hear from you guys as well. Uh, it's Friday. We're going to let our hair down a little bit. We'll open up the phones a little early if you guys want to give us a call and uh, chime in on this and let me know what you think with this case in Tennessee. Uh, to me, it seems pretty clear that it, this is being made to be something that's racial when it's really not. And uh, lamentably, this is what people do. They take advantage of these situations. Why not drive a wedge if, that, if you know that's going to motivate your base, if you know that that can get people up in arms and, and hating the Republicans? Say, look what the Republicans did again. Now they did it again, folks. So anyway, that's my take. Give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America night with rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's valdez with an s 
Why do you think that you and Justin Jones were expelled, but Gloria Johnson was not expelled? You cannot ignore the racial dynamic of what happened today. Two young black lawmakers get expelled and the one white woman does not. That's a statement in and of itself. All right, that is Justin Pearson. He's a state representative that was expelled in Tennessee yesterday, uh, speaking with reporters saying, look, you can't ignore the racial dynamic of what happened today. That's his position, that there's a racial dynamic. And I, I wonder, you know, imagine we, we did that in every scenario. If every time there was something happening, we said, well, you, you just can't ignore the racial dynamic there. That means you're living your life through the lens of racism and, and, and racialism. Because I, I can't imagine... Uh, every time I had a conflict with something that I would stop to go, well, why didn't you do it to the white guy? Well, why didn't you do it? But why are you just doing it to me? Are you singling me out because I'm Puerto Rican? Are you singling me out because I'm brown? Imagine living such a life. Uh, no, no wonder, right? No wonder we have all the conflict that we have. That is a very toxic situation to be in. I couldn't imagine doing that. Uh, just, uh, it, it's insane to me to think that people are so... Um, I don't know, overemphasizing one's race. I think, hey, great, you're a white guy, you're a black guy, you're Chinese, super, okay, terrific, no problemo. But I, I, I don't need to, uh, to dwell on the fact, right? I, I don't live my life based on these parameters, despite having to, having to be uh, of whatever race or heritage I am. We all are, but nobody does that. And this is why I've never understood why we would start, uh, unless it's a direct question, like, you know, hey, as someone that is a American of Puerto Rican heritage, do you, um, do you eat rice and beans every day? I think that's a pretty direct question. So that I, I might answer it saying, well, you know, as an American of Puerto Rican heritage, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't eat rice and beans every day. I could say that. But, but for me, imagine if people are just, hey, Rich, how are you doing today? Well, you know, as, as a Puerto Rican American, I'd have to say that uh, I'm doing pretty good today. I mean, it's just crazy for me to automatically presume that there is some sort of racial or ethnic dynamic involved in everything that we do in life. Now, while they, that may be the case for certain people that espouse that type of racism or, or racialist view of life, it's just not real life. Most people don't care, right? Other than for descriptive purposes, at least that's the world that I live in. But, you know, I was a kid when they still believed that it was right to believe in someone's character and the content of their character, not the color of their skin, which many people translate into being colorblind. And of course, now it's wrong. That's uh, considered a microaggression in many places to say that you're colorblind because now you're not acknowledging somebody's whiteness or somebody's blackness or somebody's whateverness. And again, I think that's stupid too. I don't care if you acknowledge my race or not. Just acknowledge me as a human being. Yes, sir. No, sir. Hello, ma'am. How are you, ma'am? This and that, whatever. You, know, you talk to people. You treat them with respect and you treat them with courtesy. But anyway, that was just a little tangent there. But I want to talk about uh, this uh, Justin J. Pearson, state representative. So a Shelby County, Tennessee commissioner um, told Fox 13 on Friday today that state leaders in Nashville are threatening to take away funding from Memphis and other Shelby County projects 
if the county commission decides to reinstate the expelled state representative, Justin J. Pearson. Now, Pearson is a Democrat from Memphis and Justin Jones, a Democrat from Nashville. Both were voted out of the Tennessee House of Representatives yesterday. We just talked about that. Now, this decision came a week after hundreds of protesters gathered at the Tennessee State Capitol building to speak out against what they viewed were lax gun laws in the wake of a massacre at a Christian school where a transgender murderer took their lives, the lives of three nine-year-old children and three adults. So you fast forward a little bit, and you're at today, where now you have the the threat of funding being pulled and whatnot if they decide to reinstate the people that were expelled. And uh, there's a quote here, and it says, we're also being threatened by the state. This is from one of the... Um, representatives, uh, saying that they're going to lose their funding, a promised $350 million. They're talking about snatching that away. So again, you know this is about bullying people into submission, and enough is enough. You know we've got to stand for something or we'll fall for everything. It's one of my favorite quotes there. And we've been bullied by the state for too long. Now, again, this sounds like um, heated rhetoric, but rhetoric nonetheless, they're saying that Again, so now are we to presume that the $350 million they're withholding is being withheld for the sake of racism or for the sake of them saying, don't go playing the race card and trying to victimize yourself uh, in terms of race, you know, with under the color of race, when this has nothing to do with race and this has everything to do with how you behaved. And the quick litmus test on this would be, did every... Um, member of the state uh, House of Representatives, did they get uh, censured or, or expelled? No, the answer is no. Did they treat other black people that were there differently? No, the answer is no to that too. They treated these two individuals and that woman because they were state representatives in the state house and they were violating the rules. And that to me makes sense. But I, I just... You know, I know why people do what they do. They use the Mau Mau tactics and others to antagonize and drive wedges, but it's unnecessary and it's unhelpful. And then when your buddies in the media, or their buddies in the media, I should say, they get together and they say, you know what, let's, uh, and I don't really mean they get together, but I mean they join them in, in the sense that they're out there spewing the same crazy. Listen to this. So you got here now another cut. This is the uh, other representative, Justin Jones, cut number three. Uh, he's on MSC, MBC, excuse me, MSNBC yesterday, and uh, listen to what he had to say. The nation was, the world was watching Tennessee, which is why they were on their best behavior. But even under their best behavior, you saw the disdain, the 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 arrogance. Um, you know, the the the. the Basically, I had a member on the floor call me an uppity Negro. I mean, this is the, this is the behavior of our body. And so even with the nation watch, watching them, even with the world watching them, you see the assault on the market that happened. And, and the most extreme example was uh, my expulsion. It, because it's, what it's doing, it's not about me, but it's about the 78,000 people I represent. These young people, these, you know, one of the most diverse districts being silenced. What, what I'm focusing on here is he says, I had a member call me. But the way he says it, right? He says, you know, basically, I had a member call me an uppity Negro. I would, whoever the interviewer is, I would say, excuse me, sir, which member called you an uppity Negro? And I'm sure he'd say, well, he basically called me that. 
Oh, well, what did he really call you? Right, or she. What did they really call you? They, right? This is the problem. When, when we have a media that won't stop to clarify a question, that won't stop to actually pursue the truth here. And that's where we need to be. We need to pursue the truth. We can't sit here and allow people to throw gas uh, on, on a fire that they're creating just to turn it into an inferno. No, it doesn't work that way. The, the reality is, I, in my years, uh, and I'll be 45 next month, in my years, I, I can honestly tell you, I think I've met one, maybe two, but one, like, out-of-the-box, real-deal racist. I haven't met many people. I've met people that, you know, all different walks of life. But I've, met, I've only met a few people that are like, no, I don't like other people because of the color of their skin or because of where they come from. Now, am I unique that I just, uh, or am I living in some sort of blissful ignorance? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm pretty um, self-aware with these things. I, I realize when, when people are discriminating, a lot of times it's not about race. A lot of times it's about a lot of different things could be based on education and I'm not, I'm not defending discrimination i'm just saying there's there's so many scenarios that go on and i i can't think of a one where i've seen people be treated poorly because solely because of the color of their skin i just don't see it because i think by and large most people don't care what the color of your skin is i everywhere i look every day i see more and more people of mixed race inter inter um racial marriages all over the place. They, I, apparently, they're not racist, right? Unless you're going to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a racist, but I, I, I like my wife. I mean, man, man, that's a thing. I'm sure that could be a thing. But is it really that much of a thing that it's so popular, so, so effective uh, where people need to do that? Anyway, I have a little bit more audio that I want to share with you. And, and I, just, um, I just, I'm not sold on this stuff. We're going to continue with that. We're going to hear from Gloria Johnson. She's the third state representative on not being expelled. And uh, she's got some comments on that saying that she wasn't expelled because uh, it was the color of her skin. And I think that's probably the comment that really lit the fire for a lot of people here. But I just don't know that it's accurate. I'm not saying it's maybe it was racism, but you're going to have to do a lot more to prove that it was. And that so far, I'm not convinced. Anyway, your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Plus, we have some guests tonight that you don't want to miss. America at Night with Rich Valdez. And check out the website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
877-833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And as promised, we have a couple of more clips that I want to go through with you. Gloria Johnson, she's a Tennessee state representative uh, that was not expelled because it came up short by one vote. Real quick clip here of her. Listen to this. Why do you feel like there was a difference in the outcome between you and your colleague? You want, I will answer your question. It might have to do with the color of our skin. You know, now look, this is, to me, this is worse than her going out there with a bullhorn, without a bullhorn, disrespecting uh, the, the rules of this, uh, the House of Representatives in Tennessee. Th this, this type of um, gaslighting of, of we the people, just saying it, it might have to do with the color of our skin, doesn't make any definitive comment because she can't. Right. You can't. All you can do is just have these innuendos. And I think they're not they're not worth having. They, they, they're just not. They don't provide anything of benefit for you to say, well, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a white woman and they're black men. All right. Now what? Now all you're going to do is drive a wedge, drive a stake, do whatever. And you have zero proof for it. Now, some people are saying, but Rich, do we need proof? I mean, how much more proof do you need? Why do we have to automatically presume that race is the number one factor driving people? Do I live in a bubble that's unique to me where I don't give a damn about people's race? And I, I acknowledge it. I realize it. I, I date women. And, and I know that I, I tend to like, I have a type that I like, right? So, and I think many people have a type of person that they like. Are we to now say because let's say you like uh, Asian women or you like Hispanic women or you like, um, you know, black women or white women that somehow you're a racist against the other ones because you don't like that group because you don't date that group or you haven't. I mean, is that where we are in life? What's next? Restaurant choice? You know, oh, I've seen I've seen you go to the Italian restaurant a lot. How come you don't frequent the soul food place? I mean, where would we draw this line? Next thing would be, well, you know, I, I know you go to this bank, but there's, there's, there's no blacks on the executive board of that bank. Why don't you go to a bank that has a, a black CEO or a black president? Or vice versa, an Asian president. Or, I mean, nobody does this. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, let me go buy a bagel this morning and a cup of coffee, or in my case, you know, a croqueta with a cafe con leche. And the, you know, the, like a ham croquette, they're deep fried, they're terrific. And, uh, and the um, traditional Cuban coffee that I get from the Cuban restaurant I go to. Um, is that the new thing now? So, oh, so, you know, because you go to a Cuban restaurant, you're, you're being racist against the other people. It sounds absurd because it is. And for somebody to just suggest that maybe it has something to do with the color of our skin, I think is, is just, um, it's not only not very genuine, um, it's not very honest in any capacity, but it's it's just downright irresponsible. You you know that you're clearly making things worse for people. There's no benefit here. You're never going to help anybody, even the oppressed. There's not a single person out there that's going to say, yeah, you know what, I I'm in a better place now because I believe that these people are racists. No, it just adds to division. It adds to strife. It's just my opinion. Anyway, uh, speaking of division and strife, let's go to Al Sharpton. Good old. Al Sharpton, he used to be known as the Reverend Al Sharpton. Now I guess he's a TV guy. Um, he says that the Republicans in Tennessee expelling two black lawmakers is racist and dangerous. Listen to this. She stood up and said this is clearly about race. So when you have a legislature... Not. 
that is clearly uh, a conservative, overwhelmingly uh, Republican and white male that are not only saying we're not going to deal with the question of gun control, even though we've had mass killings in this state and one rec as recent as 10 days ago, we're also going to mix race in at the same time. If this does not raise uh, the concern of all of us nationally, and I've been in on conversations all night with people in Nashville. I don't know what will. This is racist and it is dangerous when it comes to gun uh, control. Now, this is problematic, and I'll tell you why. Again, gaslighting, uh, but in addition to that, let's talk about the aspect of his argument here. So there was a school shooting, which is horrible and, and nobody likes and to, to say that gun control is the answer to school shootings, in my opinion, is farcical. Because I could guarantee, and, and I'm sure they would love for us to guarantee it, right? They would love for, for me uh, to take me up on my offer. But uh, here's my offer. I bet you anything. You ban, first of all, gun control is a ban on guns. And what they want is for guns not to exist, like Australia. They want to ship them off. They don't want them in our country. Sell them for scrap metal. Sell, sell them to the Saudis. Sell them to whoever you want. Just don't have them in the continental U.S. They don't want them here. Okay, so now you have this unarmed society. Do you really think the bad guys are not going to figure out a way to get a gun on a black market? Somewhere? Really? I mean, do you really think somebody who says, I want to go and make a big bang here. I want to go shoot up a school and be a martyr and, and be remembered for that. What, all of a sudden, because of gun control and an and inability for legal citizens to go and legally and lawfully purchase firearms, that criminals are going to stop using guns? This is the craziest thing ever. Now, the argument, the pushback on me is going to be, well, no, Rich, uh, it's clear they're not doing that now. These people are using legally obtained firearms, and if it wasn't so easy to get a gun, they wouldn't do it. No, that's a lie. I can't, I can't imagine a world where we're devoid of violence because we have good gun control. Now, I know somebody's going to say, oh, but this is a uniquely American problem. Look, it's not. Murder, uh, people getting killed and robbed and whatnot, school shootings, all of that stuff is not unique to America as is popularly touted all over the media. It's just not. We're a bigger country than many. We have different laws and different rules, different access, all sorts of things. But none of this, none of this it, it, um, isolates the United States in any way. There's a lot of things that we're number one in, like cancer and diabetes and things like that. And yet nobody makes that argument, right? We, we don't need people control when it comes to being fat and overweight. And again, I, I speak from my own personal experience, you know, of doing one drive through for lunch and another one for dinner and doing it for a long time because of a busy lifestyle and realizing, man, it's not okay to keep buying bigger and bigger suits and, and shirts with a larger and larger neck size so that you could accommodate, you know, all, all of the, the junk you're accumulating, uh, that extra spare tire and whatnot. No, at some point you have to take responsibility and you say, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm overweight and I should work out and I should stop eating and I should eat healthier. And same way with this stuff. You can impose rules on good, God-fearing people, law-abiding citizens, people that, that follow the rules. But that is not going to guarantee a scenario where people just do the right thing because you said so. 
if that were the case, kids wouldn't ever get harmed, right? There wouldn't be child trafficking, rape, or anything else. Rich Valdez, I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, as you were instructed, feel free to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. You're welcome to call, and I'm happy to speak with you. Let's go to Denise in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Hey, Denise, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, hi, yeah. We're talking about, uh, you know, horrific things that, that uh, happen to people. And mm-hmm. um, obviously it doesn't take a gun to do it. Uh, you can do it in many different ways. And yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the murder of a Brownie Girl Scout in uh, Bergen County. So uh, it just That's so happens terrible. I wasn't. Yeah, it was uh, her name was Joan D'Alessandro and her mother was, still lives in Hillsdale which is like Upper Bergen County. And um, unfortunately, um, I was living and working in Philadelphia. I worked uh, at a TV show in Philly at the time, so I wasn't really back and forth. I was back and forth. I wasn't living in Bergen County, but um, my mother was telling me about it, obviously. So um, it was pretty horrific. Um, it, it, it shook the whole area because uh, at that in the 70s, 70, 1973, um um, Bergen County was still pretty small, you know, a large population now, but it was pretty small then. But, uh, yeah, it was just horrible. And I, I come to know Mrs. D'Alessandro only because I was listening to our station, uh, WOND, and, uh, at night, and um, George Norrie had um, had reported about it. And I wow. really I, – I had, like, a, a, a cursory remembrance of it. But, um, you know, just it's horrible, horrible. And and the guy who did it, um, he died in jail, thank God. And um, he he didn't use a gun. He strangled her, raped her, and uh, raped her, strangled her, and threw her a body up in, um, uh, like, upstate New York. So, wow. Horrible. You know, yeah. I, 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 I'm not familiar with the story, but I think this is, uh, it's hard. I mean, whenever I hear things like that, certain things triggered things in me, right? So like my, my daughter, she, um, she was a Girl Scout here in Bergen County. And, uh, and you, when you hear that these ter- terrible things happen, it's like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. And the point you're making is a, a point well taken, whether it's the, the crazy guy that ran the people over in his SUV, the, the Christmas parade, or anybody else, you know, these knife-wielding crazies that they have all over Europe. People that want to hurt people are going to hurt people. And we can't stop that uh, by legislating more laws saying it's wrong to hurt people. That's clear, right? And, and making it less safe for everybody else to defend themselves because they're not allowed to carry a firearm. I agree with you. The, the answer is not in controlling guns. The answer is in controlling people. And many years ago, I wrote an article about that called gun control, uh, people control, not gun control. And, uh, 
doesn't matter when I reread that article. It, it made a lot of sense then, and it makes a lot of sense today. The problem isn't the, the gun. The problem is the people. And uh, thank you for the call, Denise. I appreciate it. Really enlightening story, uh, even though it was a sad story, a very enlightening one where, you know, it's important to, to keep track of these anniversaries because, lamentably, these things do matter. Anyway, uh, the rest of your calls coming up straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So we're talking about this egregious crime uh, against that young Girl Scout and um, brings up this story from today. Florida Sheriff Billy Woods goes off after a reporter asks about gun control following these teen murders. I want you to listen to uh, the sheriff at the press conference uh, discussing what exactly happened. Listen to this. Oh, the gun laws we got in place didn't prevent it, did it? Neither will any new ones. Because here's the fact, the bad guy is going to get a gun no matter what law you have put in place. These juveniles shouldn't even possess a handgun. But they did. And I'll go back to you, add to your question. A simple burglary, as some people will say, but I don't consider anything simple when it comes to a burglary. The law allows me, I'll plaster their face up on this page, up on my page, up on media. I will hand it out if the law allows me because parents have the right to know who their kids are hanging out with and preventing this. So this is uh, the, the story here. Check this out. The uh, Marion County Sheriff was really upset with this, saying that it's, Society, school districts, and gun law rhetoric, these gun control advocates announcing the arrest of two juveniles. One of them is just 12 years old in connection with recent killings of three teenagers in Florida. A third juvenile suspect remains at large, and the attorney general's office is weighing whether to charge all three suspects as adults, Sheriff Wood said uh, at this press conference today. Uh, the fact is society fails them. We don't hold our juveniles accountable. We minimize their actions. I think he's right. And, and this is why people care less and less about the value of a human life. Uh, the suspects are accused of fatally shooting a 16-year-old, I'm going to guess this is a girl, Layla Silvernail, 16 years old, uh, Camille Quarles, uh, 17 years old, and an unknown male as well, back on March 30th in Marion County. This is horrible. Uh, Sheriff Woods also told the reporters he had to look into their eyes of, of these suspects and, uh, and their parents and inform them of their children's crimes. This is horrible, right? And then he said the suspect's parents don't have a whole lot to say. If you're a parent, put yourself in their shoes. Holy hell, panic. I'm scared to death as a parent, embarrassed, ashamed. I agree with him. And we have one more cut of that. I want you to hear it coming from the sheriff. Listen to this. What does accountability look like for you? I know you talked about 
I will refrain an awful lot on that answer to this question, to the full extent of the law. Okay, don't don't take me wrong. I might be hard on people, but I also have a heart. And I've already told you, I am a father. But here's the one thing my boys know. Growing up, the freaking barber had my permission to whip their asses. And not only that, when this stuff came up on TV, I pointed at them. I said, you don't have to worry about the law coming after you. Full extent. Now that's right. You got to go for the full extent because if you don't take advantage of everything that way, what else do you got? Let's go to Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Let's go to Mimi. Uh, welcome, Mimi. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich. Uh, appreciate uh, your giving this citizen a voice tonight. Thank you. You're I was welcome. Just going thank you. To, oh, my, oh, yes. Thank you. My pleasure. So I was just going to suggest that if it would be possible to determine whether the majority of the murders that are committed by gun in America, if the majority rather of the murderers actually have a permit for the gun or whether the gun was gotten on the black market. Because my feeling is that the majority of the guns were illegally acquired. So why wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't an American citizen without a rap sheet with the ability to legally acquire a permit and a firearm, why wouldn't such a person feel the need to have the gun to protect themselves and their family from such people? Well, that's it's exactly logical. right, Mimi. That hundred percent right. That's where all the logic is. If if we outlaw guns, only bad people are going to have guns, and this is what you see in Chicago, in New York, in California. It, it, over and over, it's a failed experiment every single time. They try to spin it however they want to spin it, but the reality is, when you know that you're shooting fish in a barrel, you're shooting fish in a barrel. When you know that you're in a place like New Jersey, for example, right? I live in Jersey. Uh, four miles outside of Times Square, New York City. You can almost bet whatever money you'd like to bet that whatever individual you point to and try to go rob, you're a very high probability that they're not armed. Try that in Florida. Try that in Georgia. Try that in so many other places where you're allowed to actually uh, you know, exercise your Second Amendment. It becomes a different story there. We don't know what's going on because you never know who's who. An armed society is a polite society. And lamentably, in these states that embrace gun control, what we have now is bedlam. Anyway, thank you, Mimi, for the call. The music means I've got to go. There's a few people on hold. Hopefully, we'll get to you very soon. Uh, I enjoy uh, speaking with all of our listeners. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. City that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And according to Bloomberg, the gap between black and white Americans when it comes to unemployment has dropped to a record low. This is a piece by Katerina Sariva. Uh, she is with Bloomberg and says the gap between black and white unemployment rates Uh, a closely watched benchmark of inequality in the labor market, she adds, (laughs) shrank to its lowest um, and narrowest level on in March as African-Americans saw outsized gains in employment. The black unemployment rate plunged to 5% last month, according to Bloomberg and Ms. Saravia, the lowest level in data that's going back into the 1970s. It's still 1.8 percentage points above the rate for white Americans, which was unchanged at 3.2% in March. So that's Bloomberg's story. Not sure what to make of it. I hope it's all on the up and up and it's true, but there's more. Listen to this, Forbes magazine. The economy is unwell. Job growth unexpectedly slows as employers scale back wages and put in hiring freezes. You want another one? Here you go. CNBC private payrolls rose by 145,000 in March, well below expectations, according to ADP. This is problematic, I think, from a lot of different perspectives. Um, We're not doing great. And you throw in inflation and voila, we've got a recipe for disaster. Thank God uh, people aren't as unemployed as they can be. But I think there's a lot of uh, financial health indicators that are going off right now. And uh, to help us have a better understanding of what's going on, we are going to chat with a pro, Stephen Patterson. He's the chief client officer for Key City Capital, and he's with us right now. Stephen Patterson, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me this evening. Wonderful. So what do you make of some of these headlines? What's your immediate reaction to that? You know, the data that we're collecting uh, in the uh, job force has been skewed and and been um, very difficult to get a read on for quite some time. Um, You know, for every unemployed individual out there right now, there's two job openings, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're high-quality jobs or well-paid jobs. That's why they're open. Um, So I think that our unemployment rates right now are actually probably significantly higher than what they're showing uh, because of the number of people that have left the workforce. Um, The other thing that I think is very reasonable, and I think Americans are starting to feel, uh, is that there are a lot of layoffs going on right now. Uh, We know that jobs are being cut in the tech sector, uh, also in the uh, industrial sectors. Um, and our, our economy is slowing significantly due to the interest rate increases uh, that everyone's starting to feel. When you say the economy's slowing, do you feel like 
is this like an engine that's slowing down because it's running out of gasoline and about to die? That kind of slowing down? Or is this just like we just took our foot off the gas because of the um, corrections that are coming from the Fed on, on, you know, the I guess the measures they're taking to fight back inflation? Um, no, I think that the economy has had some significant headwinds for quite some time. Uh, I, I think the running out of gas um, analogy is, is spot on. Um, when you look at the debt markets and how much they've tightened, um, you know, debt fuels economic growth in many instances. Um, so with the inability to access that type of capital, uh, it's definitely slowing. I think the other thing is, is that as wage growth slows and as layoffs occur, um, then there's less demand. Uh, which then will have a direct impact on earnings reports for companies uh, as those earnings drop, stock prices drop. Um, so I think it's a ripple effect throughout the economy uh, in a variety of ways. Give me a few of those variety of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, if stock prices are dropping, then the retirees feel it. Uh, so therefore, their spending power uh drops significantly. Um, if there is no borrowing, then there is no growth, which means um, that the construction, uh, the, the construction projects uh, don't go on. Um, you know, additional offices opening uh, doesn't happen. Uh, creating a new location uh, doesn't occur, uh, which then affects new jobs. Uh, so if there's not employment opportunity, then there's people that are unemployed. Well, their spending goes to zero or very low. Um, so, you know, if interest rates have risen and people are buying few cars, well, it not only affects the car lot, but it also affects the car manufacturer. Um, and so with no new cars, uh, that section slows. So, I mean, you can see how it hits each uh, phase of the economy from the worker to the consumer uh, to Wall Street. All of those are interconnected. You know, you, you said something that's really spot on. I've got a buddy in the used car business, and this guy is selling used cars for as much as other dealers are selling brand new cars for. And it's remarkable to me, especially full-sized SUVs, pickup trucks, uh, the larger the engine, uh, the bigger the gas guzzler, the, the more expensive they're selling for. These things are selling for, you know, they were brand new. They were like 70 grand. They're eight years old, seven years old, and they're worth 40 and 50 grand. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's a supply and demand. There's not uh, a big supply of new ones that are out there for a number of reasons, which some of which you've cited and others. And, uh, and, and now it's an opportunity for him to make a lot of money. But for everybody else, it's an opportunity to spend a lot of money if you have it. If you don't have it, you don't get the big SUV. And I think this is true for many cars. Are you experiencing the same or have you heard about that? No, uh, I think there's plenty of data to back up everything you just said. Um, and, you know, if you look at, you know, and I think this is going to take the conversation maybe in a slightly different direction, but it all aligns. Um, if you look at why that's occurred um, during the COVID year, uh, year and a half, almost two years, um, there were not new cars weren't being made, right? Uh, or they were being made at a much slower 
pace. Uh, they weren't able to be exported into the country or imported into the country. Um, you know, and so there was this gap of production, uh, but yet people were working from home. They weren't spending money in other areas. So now they're ready to go and buy, right? Well, there's no new car, so there's a used car. So there's a big demand on the used car, which then drives up the price. That's what's going on in the auto industry, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's take that across every segment of the economy, and the same can be the same can be said. Well, those price increases drive inflation, right? So when you're looking at these inflation numbers and inflation's going up and up and up and up, and mm -hmm. people say, oh, there's too much money chasing too few goods. Okay, that's great. It's a supply issue. It's not about there being too much money. It's about there not being enough supply to meet the demand. Um, we can raise interest rates till the cows come home. But if there is not an increase in supply, then why, why would those numbers significantly change? Um, if we don't do something about energy production um, and gas prices go up significantly like it looks like they will this summer, OPEC mm -hmm. just cut another 1.6 million barrels a day, and those gas prices jump, those gas prices Everything that you buy is going to touch a diesel engine in some way, whether it's a truck, whether it's a train, however it gets to that store, it's going to affect that price, um, whether it's lettuce or whether it's a new shirt or a pair of tennis shoes, right? All mm -hmm. of that happens. Um, and so I'm afraid that the, the medicine that's being delivered right now to the economy by the federal government or, or the Fed um, is quite the wrong medicine altogether. We really should be focusing on economic expansion, really should be focusing on increasing supply. If we were taking care of that, I think you would see these inflationary numbers come down because the supply would then meet the demand. But we're not doing that. So now we're seeing layoffs. Now we're seeing all of these other factors that are completely harmful. And, you know, um, you know, I think that Jamie Dimon had a great quote about it. You know, you may control inflation, but if you completely derail the economy and you have a couple million people without jobs, uh, what did you actually solve? And, and exactly. I think that that's a question that really needs to be discussed. Right. And, and it explains a lot of why people say they keep saying inflation's at this percent or that percent, but yet I'm paying 20 percent and 30 percent more on everything. And it's because it's not all inflation from the inflationary problem we've seen. It's what you're talking about. It's a supply problem where that creates this uh, additional inflation, if you will, where it you know increases the cost and people are getting screwed. And ultimately, it's the end user, the consumer that that really bears the brunt of it. Because I tell you, my buddy in the car business, this guy's making money hand over fist right now. <laughs> he told me he's selling he's selling cars at retail price to other dealerships because people are like, get me a car, you know, with X amount of miles and I'll take it. And I just, I've never seen the car market this explosive and I'm looking for no. something new. So I just, that's why it caught my eye. But let me just remind everybody. Well, not only are, go ahead. No, not only are those prices up, but a year ago you could finance that car at about two, two and a half percent. You go to finance right. that car today, and you're talking about seven and a half or eight percent, right? So not only is the price higher, 
but the note is significantly higher because the interest rate has changed. 100% true. Folks, we're on with Stephen Patterson, uh, financial strategist and chief client officer at Key City Capital. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation on the economy, in particular on these uh, 145,000 um, uh, payroll numbers. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. So we're going to do that, at, plus your calls if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. We're discussing how private payrolls rose by 145,000 in March, which was well below the expectation. That's according to data from ADP, the big payroll giant. Uh, financial activities lost 51,000 jobs and professional and business services fell by 46,000. Private sector hiring rose by only 145,000. And that's down from 261,000 in February. The estimate was 210,000, so they're um, not doing well. And this last one here, leisure and hospitality added less than 100,000 workers. Trade, transportation, and utilities grew by 56,000, and construction only rose by 53,000. We're discussing all of this with Stephen Patterson. He's a chief client officer for Key City Capital, and... Stephen Patterson, what do you make of these uh, payroll numbers not meeting uh, the expectation? No, I think it's uh, indicative of the slowdown that we're seeing uh, in spending. I think it's indicative of exactly what the Fed is creating with these interest rate hikes. I mean, we raise interest rates 475 basis points this year. It's the fastest it's ever been done uh, in the history and, uh, you know, this is the result you're going to get. Uh, when things get more expensive, you're going to see wage growth slow. When there's less spending, you're going to see job growth slow. And eventually you're going to see some pretty significant job loss, which I think is beginning to happen. You know, I've, I've interviewed several economists on this program, and, and that's always my question. Uh, is the Fed slowly triggering a job-killing recession? And um, they all say, yeah, well, they're, they're going to get into a recession one way or another, but it may not be a, you know, a job-crushing one. But I'm thinking, how else can we have a recession? And again, I, this is a, genuinely my own naivete. Uh, can we have a recession that doesn't destroy jobs? No, uh, I don't <laughs> I didn't think, think so. so. I think it's, <laughs> no, I think the reality is, is there's, there's hope that this is 1994, um, and that there's the quote-unquote soft landing, um, that you know we can raise interest rates, we can cool the economy without massive job loss, without recession, so on and so forth. Um, you know, it's been done successfully uh, once. Uh, Paul Volcker and uh, President Clinton pulled it off in '94. '94. Is it still possible uh, for this to occur? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, 
sure it's possible. Um, is it probable? I don't think so. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, I think history has a unique way of repeating itself, right? We see this time and time again. You know, in the last time that we had energy policy uh, this bad and supply uh, this bad was in the 70s, right? And what did we see? We saw skyrocketing interest rates during the Carter administration. You know, it wasn't until the early 80s and on into the late 80s that we saw those interest rates come down from their peak uh, in 1981 of 18%. So, you know, um, if we don't do something about the energy policy in our, in our country right now, if we don't get a handle on the real causes of what we're dealing with and come to grips with that, uh, whether it's politically expedient or not, um, I think it's a foregone conclusion that you do see significant recession. Wow. Well, that's the reality of life, and uh, and that's where we are. Folks, we're on with Stephen Patterson, uh, financial strategist and chief client officer at Key City Capital. Uh, Stephen Patterson, let everybody that's listening know how they can keep in touch with you or follow the work you're doing if they want to learn more about what you do. Absolutely. Uh, we're at keycitycapital.com. Uh, we are a private equity uh, company uh, investing in alternative asset classes. Um, scheduling a meeting off of our website can be done with one click. We look forward to helping you navigate these turbulent financial times. All right. Outstanding. And is there a social media account if anybody wants to keep in touch or anywhere uh, in the social media world that they could uh, check you out? Absolutely. We have a Facebook page as well at Key City Capital. Um, but the easiest way in is uh, just to uh, go to our website, keycitycapital.com. Outstanding. Well, thank you for your uh, your insight. And, um, you know, although it wasn't great news, <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> uh, a sober warning to get ready and buckle up because this is going to get rough. I believe it. I believe it will. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being with us. I appreciate you sticking around and staying up late to be with us live and national. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You bet. All right, folks, um, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion on the administrative state, the deep state. What, what do they do? How do they do it? Well, in Canada, the government went after Gordon Knight, and he wrote a book called Deep Six Diaries. It's the true story of how one little guy tried to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from the bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. So we're going to hear about that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez and America at Night. talking about the true story of how one little guy uh, tried to defend himself, defend his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. Gordon Knight is the author of Deep Six Diaries, and Gordon Knight is with us. Welcome, Gordon Knight. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. This is a topic that uh, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about because it's one I care about. I think 
oftentimes any government, uh, when you know they have a little bit too much power, they tend to to get abusive <laughs> at times. And um, you know, I I spent some time in my life caring for my own elderly father, and sure. I know what that's like. And uh, it's not easy. And you know, combine that with you know, big brother or the deep state or the administrative state or, you know, big government um, beating you down as well. And I can only imagine how difficult that could be. And you're in Canada, and this was the government of Canada, which at times I've seen, at least stateside here, I can tell you I've seen the government of Canada do things that I think are crazy. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, how do, they, how do they pull that off? But you guys don't have the same constitution, and, you know not throwing stones. We do crazy stuff here too. So tell us a little bit about your story. <laughs> sure. Well, just to, I appreciate the intro, uh, Rich, but I'm actually in Texas right now. I've, I've had to flee the country of Canada. I've had to apply for Good political for asylum. Wow. And there is a warrant out for my arrest in Canada. So it's a bit of a story, oh. but I'll, I'll show you how I got there. So you're uh, a fugitive. I am, I am an actual real life fugitive and a refugee and it, it's from a G7 country. So it's all, it's all kind of surreal. Hmm. But, you know, Rich, um, I mean, we've all heard about these major conservatives of high profile that, that are in the news for being targeted by the, the state, right? Well, Donald Trump most recently, right? Sure. Um, but, you know, for every one of these big guys, there are thousands of little guys like me that are being targeted. And wow. I, I was one of them being targeted by a civil service agency in Canada called CSA Group. Um, they call themselves a private company, Rich, too, in order to participate within the markets that they're regulating. So if you think of uh, the Department of Transport owning a trucking company at the same time, that kind of thing. Wow. But they're actually a private, they're actually a public agency in Canada operating inside the United States, which is contrary to law, but they're doing it. And in 2012, they decided to sue me for copyright violation because my company was quoting from the law. Now, let's just unpack that a bit. My company uh, publishes electrical guidebooks. We're a small family business, Rich. We've been around, what, 50 years. We publish books that you'd buy at Home Depot or, or Lowe's or something and teach you how to wire your kitchen. So we're right. a pretty small outfit. But the civil servants decided it would be a great idea to launch their own guidebook in competition with ours. Wow. And they weren't doing very well at it, so they started using the power of government to suppress my publication. And that's how this all got started. We ended up with an 11-year saga of trying to defend myself, my father, as you mentioned, and my little business against this administrative state that was keen on using their regulatory clout and their deep, in the treasuries about as deep a pocket as you can get uh, to ban our books and really bury us in, under the weight of the administrative state. That's what sort of led to all this nonsense. Wow. So that's interesting. I, I mean, I have a lot of critique of, uh, of our government, uh, but I, I can say that they typically, outside of maybe student loans, they did become a bank uh, in many ways. But outside sure. of that, they, they tend to stay out of, of a lot of private industry. Uh, they, they put pressure, but they don't immediately like start publishing books and, sure. and try to take out the little guy. And I think this is a very heavy handed story, but um, it's crazy to me that's happening. Uh, is this commonplace in Canada that the government gets into businesses that compete with mom and pop? Yes, it is. It's, it's a normal protocol. I mean, when they first targeted me, uh, Rich, in, in 2011, actually the fourth quarter of 2011, their approach to me was very similar to how they approach, well, hundreds of businesses in that country and, Rich, in the United States as well. They, it's almost like a mafia thing. They, they sat down and said, you know, nice little business you had there. Same if anything were to happen to it. Why don't you pay us a little bit of money? We'll call <laughs> yeah. it a royalty payment, okay? So in exchange, 
we will allow you to continue to exist. That's what it came out to. But the problem was that the civil service, most of the civil servants, at least in Canada, are lifers. You know, they're there forever because sure. if I'm going to be blunt about it, they're not, we don't hire the best and the brightest for the government of Canada. So no, this I is the best it. job they'll ever have, right? And without any real world experience, the royalties they were demanding were mathematically impossible. So I didn't have a choice. I, I couldn't pay them. It wasn't possible. The royalty value exceeded the retail price of the book, Rich. So I had to defend myself against them. And the moment I did that, all the guns came out. Uh, it's, if you think of a, like a schoolyard bully trying to steal kids' lunch money, the yeah. one kid that defends himself and says, no, I won't pay you, that's the kid the bully focuses on because all the other kids are watching to see if the bully has power, right? Of so course. when CSA does this, I have to defend or, or, you know, I'm wiped out. Wow. So what, uh, what did they do? What was the first step they took towards you and your All family? Right. The very first step was legal. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago they, they sued me for copyright violation. That was the first one. The civil servants are claiming to own the law privately because they draft the law, right? So if they own the law, nobody can refer to the law or quote from it without their permission. So my quoting from the law in an electrical instruction book was a breach of copyright. This is their argument. Now, I, look, I, I thought that was absurd. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, it went through court. And that's when things got very dirty, Rich, because, you know, when we think of court judgments, rulings going on, we think of the judges, don't we? But mm. behind the judge, there's an army of civil servants who do the, the doing of the court. They schedule the cases. They assign judges to cases. And so when it's the civil servants that are also the plaintiff, they can select the judge that's to their liking. In my case, against this agency called CSA Group, the civil service selected an employee of CSA to be the judge between myself and CSA. <laughs> so, How is that not a know, conflict of interest? <laughs> well, I couldn't argue it the other way, Rich. I mean, it clearly is a conflict of interest. It's, actually, it's what's called trial rigging because wow. the guy was expected to deliver a result for his, his work coworkers, and he sure. did. So that's where Canada got what's called private law. It's actually called Manson's Law in Canada, named after the judge, uh, where all legislation in Canada now is privately owned by whomever drafted it. And that's been approved all the way up through appeals all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, I'll tell you something, Rich. This isn't a Canadian problem necessarily because CSA, the same outfit, has made so much money from owning the law in Canada, they've now started lobbying the U.S. government for the same thing. They did that in the previous wow. Congress in 2022. And I happen to know that there was lobbying going on on Thursday of this week with several congressmen on private law in the United States. So this is not just a Canadian problem. It's not just, you know, one poor Canuck that's had to flee to the U.S. This is a U.S. problem. We're facing it down here, too. Wow, it's spreading. Folks, we're on with Gordon Knight. He's the author of Deep Six Diaries, the true story of one little guy trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. It sounds like an excellent book thus far, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Gordon Knight straight ahead. If you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 833, the number 4 Valdez, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our guest, Gordon Knight. Gordon Knight's the author of Deep Six Diaries. you got to get a copy of this book. I always recommend get two copies. Get one for yourself and one you can share with a friend because this is a remarkable story. Uh, Deep Six Diaries, the true story of one little guy trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. Now, Gordon Knight, when we left off, you were talking about how the government came after you. They tried to sue you. The government is now taking over what, um, saying they have right or ownership over private law and that you're violating their copyright in producing the electrical manuals that you've been producing for half a century. Let's pick up That's from right. there. Sure. Well, you know, I'd like to chat with you briefly here, Rich, about some of the legal machinations that take place when, <laughs> when you're a little guy. You know, what we saw with Donald Trump a few days ago, um, it, it got lots of coverage, didn't it? I mean, there was lots of sunlight on this. And some oh, yeah. of the absurdities of what um, uh, the DA was doing uh, have been talked about, you know, ad nauseum in the media. But when you're the little guy, nobody notices. And the media knows, but nobody's going to see it. And so they can right. get away with more stuff. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, you know, more important than Donald Trump at any stretch, but uh, you can be enduring more as a little guy because nobody's watching. Mm -hmm. In my particular case... I'll give you a couple of examples here. They went after me on private law. That's true. But they managed to start eight litigations against me on three, in three countries. And among these, they were getting more creative, let's say, with how they were respecting legal processes. The, the challenge for them was that the evidences really aren't in favor of what they're trying to do. So they had to find ways of ruling that what the law says it means is the opposite of what it really means. And I was <laughs> pointing out... This is reality. I was pointing out the absurdity of this. So I was inconvenient to them. And so a few years ago, uh, they started denying me the right to defend myself in court. Now, this is a pretty basic right, you know, but I was denied that because I was embarrassing to them. So I was not allowed to present anything. My defense filings would be edited. So if you have, just for example, your listeners may not know this, but in a regular like a litigation with the government, you have a defense binder of, say, 400 pages of evidence. That's actually a pretty small binder in that kind of courtroom. If they remove three pages, you're not going to notice it until you need those pages in the trial. <laughs> and they're not there. This is what, and they're not there. And this is what the civil servants would do. Again, I remind you, um, behind the judges, all the clerks of the court are civil servants, aren't they? And if their colleagues are the ones that are the plaintiff, they have incentive to jerry things in their interest. Mm -hmm. So they would do that. They, they'd edit my uh, filings. On one occasion, they actually deleted my entire filing account. And again, for reference, people don't file things with paper anymore. It's digital upload of your, uh, your defense filing. So they would just delete it and then destroy all the evidences that were in there. Uh, the judge, to his credit, tried to get the clerk of the court to accept my defense filings. And the, he couldn't get any cooperation from the civil service. So what he had to do was rule that the defendant, that's me, had to file my defenses with the plaintiff. The plaintiff would receive them, review my defenses against them, and then file them, apparently unmolested, with the court on my behalf. This is, this is like something out of Zimbabwe, and yet we're describing what's happening in this country. It's astounding. astounding. So I have been found wow. repeatedly guilty of complying with the law as it is written, and indeed through my legal counsel. I'm just, I'm just self-defended throughout. So I, I've had professional counsel guiding me on compliance, we have complied, and we've repeatedly been found guilty, including, Rich, 
of contempt of court for complying with a court agreement. So all some of this is criminal, in other words. I laugh so not is, because it's funny, but it, I just, oh, it's incredulity. I, I, it's just crazy I, what I'm hearing. Oh, I know. It, it sounds surreal. And I, I recognize as well, Rich, when, I, when I, I wrote the Deep Six book, that what I was writing would seem surreal, hard to believe. I've got to be making some of this stuff up, you know. And so that book is heavy on quotations and facts and, and dates so that people can verify it. And indeed, on the Deep Six Diaries website, deepsixdiaries.com, there's an evidence tab. And we put all of the evidence that are referenced in the book online. There's 82,000 documents online, Rich, so people can verify what sounds surreal, is it really true? And that's about credibility in what I'm saying. I need to be able to back what I'm saying up, and I think we've done that on the site. Amazing. It really is amazing. And, you know, this um, lends itself very well to a point that you made that I made the other day. Um, mm. and, and, it was, and it just dawned on me. It wasn't some profound moment for me. It was just profound in hearing it where it, you mentioned Trump, and he mentioned in a in a social media post and he said, you know, they're coming after me, but they're really going after you. And, and, and I agree with that statement. Uh, but yeah. I thought to myself, he's, he's not really standing in the way they are already coming after me vis-a-vis -vis yeah. you, right? Th that's already happening. And you're really shedding light on this, that, uh, it's not like he's stopping that from happening. And, and this is yeah. not an indictment on him in any way. It's just saying it, we've gone from, you know, um, We've crossed this bridge, is my yeah. point. They, they, yeah. they will go after the little guy anytime they feel like it. And they're so yeah. emboldened now that they go after the big guy, too. And that's, and, and that's the part that I say, wow, if you're going to go after a guy that you know has the resources and, uh, for lack of a better word, the balls to take on a fight like this, that yeah. Trump's that guy, yeah. right? He's ready to fight yeah. all day, every day. And, but who, who can do that? Who can withstand that financially and emotionally? And, you know, I mean, yes. these people break people all the time. Trump's just one of those guys that's like, oh, you want to fight? <laughs> you pick the right guy. I do this for a living, you know, uh, and, and God bless him for it. But, but I think to myself, everybody like you that can't take that stand, uh, oh it's already happening. It's been happening. Yeah. They, yeah. they wipe the floor with guys like us if they want to. Yeah. And, and that to me is, is egregious and it's, it's scary, quite frankly, yeah. Gordon Knight. Yeah. Anyway, no, before you go correct. on, let me just pause right here before they, uh, my producer cuts us off and we'll come right back. Folks, we're on with Gordon Knight. He's the author of Deep Six Diaries, the true story of one little guy trying to defend himself, his business, and his elderly father from bullying bureaucrats and government criminality. During the break, go to the website, put in the title of the book, Deep Six Diaries, and get a couple of copies. This is a story you need to hear. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're on with Gordon Knight. And uh, Gordon Knight, before we, we're about to wrap up momentarily, but I, I wanted you to pick up on that thought that you had right before the last break. 
Sure, happy to do so. But just one quick caveat in here, Rich, just so your listeners know, the Deep Six book that I would love to be able to sell has actually been banned as well. The uh, Canadian government managed to get it banned on both Amazon and through credit card companies. So what you and I are doing wow. right now is a friendly chat, but it's more public information. We need to raise public awareness about this because I can't sell the books. Look, to your comment, you mentioned, I mean, Rich, if you think about it, do you really believe that Joe Biden is the mastermind running this country from the White House? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I've, it's not I've never believed that. <laughs> no. And Justin Trudeau in Canada is a bit of an empty suit. It's the civil servants that are running all this stuff. And I like the point you made before the break that, you know, that it, it, this quote about Trump saying it's, it's not me, they're after it's you. And that's correct. They've been after us for a long time. They've been running roughshod over the country for a long time. The reason they hate Trump is that unlike Biden or Trudeau, he was actually in charge. He wasn't taking a backseat to the civil service and rubber stamping whatever they wanted. And everybody saw it happen. It's kind of like that bully in the schoolyard analogy from earlier on in this call Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody saw him defy them. And so they have to destroy this Trump character so that they can retain their power over everybody else. And that's how they get access to our wallets. It's the same with anybody that stands Mm -hmm. up against them, like my little company. If they don't destroy me, you know, they lose access. That's how it goes. That's true. Otherwise, somebody might dare do the same thing and stand up for themselves. Oh, we can't have freedom, Rich. That's crazy. (laughs) That's horrible. (laughs) So now, uh, if people can't buy the book, um, Mm. unless somebody who has it and wants to sell it on the secondary market like eBay or something, um, how how do people follow you or support your work? On the Deep Six Diaries website, so deep6diaries.com, they can just send us an email. There's a contact us thing there. And not only will we advise them when the book is available again, we are working with Amazon to demonstrate that, you know, the book that I wrote that has my name on the cover is not actually a counterfeit. We're working with them on this. So that when it's available, we can send an advisory out. And if they have any questions, uh, I mean, I, I may not have time to respond instantly, but I do respond to emails. So there are options to communicate that way. As for social media, we've been banned from social media also. So, so really, wow. deepsixdiaries.com is the only avenue right now. All right, so that's deepthenumber6diaries.com, deepthenumber6diaries.com. Gordon Knight is the author. Gordon, keep up the good work, man. You, you got to keep swinging. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you, know, the, you know what they say, when, when they're coming at you like that, it's because you're over the target. So yeah, uh, keep up the good work. And uh, we'll, I'd love so to have you back uh, soon whenever there's an update that you could uh, you know, give us hopefully some good news. Be delighted to. Thanks, Rich. Take care. Yeah, happy Easter. God bless. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Open phone America. We're open up the phone lines right now uh, on this good Friday. Phone number 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES is the phone number. Open phone America starts right now. We're coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now... 
Here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, on all of the social media. Give us a call, and make sure you check out our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. That's where you can listen to old episodes. You can check out all of the archives. You can hit the Listen Live button if for any reason you want to take the show on the on the road with you. You can listen from anywhere. We stream it live right on that website between 10 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 a.m. Eastern Time. So figure that out depending on which time zone you're in. Uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And you can subscribe to the podcast as well. This way you get alerts when there's a brand new episode. And uh, we've talked about a number of things tonight. Had a really interesting conversation with Gordon Knight just a little while ago about how the Canadian government went after him and his family's small business, a publishing business, and uh, he's still in that fight. They threw his book off Amazon. That's how bad things got for him. But uh, it just goes to show you, when they want to come after you, they can. We also talked with Stephen Patterson about the economy and um, the auto market and so much of what's happening right now with um, the American economy and different areas of, of growth. And a couple of headlines that I want to go over with you because there's a few things that are on my list of things today. Uh, we've got, let's see, the Pope says it's normal to meet people on Twitter. Okay, good job. Your Tinder, excuse me, on Tinder. <laughs> the Pope is making a plug for Tinder, excuse me. And that's uh, that's interesting. We'll get to that one shortly. Uh, since it's a good Friday, let's check that one out. Uh, we also have, let's see this one, uh, top secret Ukraine war documents have been leaked on social media sites. I wonder where those came from. They're going to blame Trump for that one? Things that are literally secrets from the Pentagon. And uh, there's another one here, a follow-up from Clarence Thomas. AOC says that she's coming after him. She's going to take him to task, and she's going to talk to the Ethics Committee. Well, turns out uh, he got some advice. He says he was advised early in his tenure on the court. And he says, I sought guidance from my colleagues and others in the judiciary and was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends who did not have business before the court was not reportable. I've endeavored to follow that counsel throughout my tenure and have always sought to comply with the disclosure guidelines, Thomas said in a statement. And these are his first public comments since the report by ProPublica, which in my opinion is a hit job by a guy named Harlan Crow, uh, based out of Dallas. So that's that. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, shortly. Uh, but I just wanted to give out the phone number in case anybody wants to join the conversation. We will uh, welcome that, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, let's go to um, Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Frank, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir. Hi. Yeah, Rich, I think the, Trump has got to stop listening to Gingrich. He's the bad part of the right side of his brain. Now, Gingrich, why, why, why is that? Back in the early 90s, he was part of a campaign with the NRA to actually confiscate weapons and replace every weapon, every firearm, with smart guns. It would take your, your, your parents, your, your, any gift that was given to you, your, your ancestors' uh, relics, and confiscate them. And... Uh, because we, we would only want to have 
guns that were only shootable by the owner, and they had to be, you know, true blue people. But a lot of right, the people right. that signed up, these were uh, the neocons and the and the social democrats and everything. They they were all in in the scheme. So the new NRA is not to be trusted, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I, I can't say anything. Um, I don't know anything about that, honestly. Uh, but I can say, thank goodness that that's not the case, right? Um, we're, we're not in this smart gun scenario just yet, and Gingrich has been gone for a long time. But I think, for the most part, he does an excellent job. He gives great analysis and advice. And uh, I'll look into more about this, what you're talking about, with uh, Gingrich on the smart guns. Uh, I hadn't heard about any gun confiscations during his time as Speaker. Uh, that's definitely something I want to look into. But thank you, Frank. I appreciate it um, because, listen, we, we've got to we've got to do better if, if that is, in fact, the case. And uh, something tells me there's probably more to meets the eye there. But we can continue with the calls. Let's go to Billy. Billy's calling us from Bethel, Connecticut, WLAD. Great station. Billy, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. <laughs> Terrific, terrific being on. I've listened to you ever since, you know, the takeover from a Jim Bohannon show. You're oh, doing a fabulous you, job with huge boots to fill, and you're handling it. You're handling oh, it perfect. Very kind. Um, your, your, your guest prior to Gordon from uh, the exiled Canadian was talking about oh, supplies yeah. and especially about the automobile. Has anybody done uh, any sort of statistical analysis, like a public policy think tank, on the unintended consequences of cash for clunkers. Think a horrible of all program. the used cars that were taken out of the marketplace, the secondary you know, marketplace. I have not seen, when people talk about uh, you know, the supply of cars and all that stuff, cash for clunkers is the first thing I think of because what it did to the car market and how it's driven the cost of cars up. I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands, or I don't know the number of cars taken off. But that I, I would think that in a discussion of rising used car costs, cash for clunkers has to factor in some way. I'm, I'm pretty sure it does in one way or another. I mean, it was probably about 10 years ago. But... Um, Either way, I, I agree. It was a uh, uh, wealth transfer. Is the government giving out money for you know more money than they were supposed to, for, which is none, uh, for for this the cash for clunkers program, and it was just another scheme, in my opinion, from the, the Obama administration. But it raises a good point that it did take out some of uh, the marketplace, and and, and if again, if there yes. were. If there were more decade-old cars or 12- or 13-year-old cars on the market, which, believe it or not, still work relatively well, um, I think you're, you're right. We'd probably see a little bit less demand on the cars that are 4 years old, 5 years old, 6 or 7 years old, uh, which seem to be, again, selling in many cases for as much as brand-new cars, which blows my mind. But that's where we are, Billy. To your previous guest, it, it is a supply question. It reduced supply. And there's a lot of people. I, mean, I have a 25-year-old Mazda and a 20-year-old Toyota pickup. I and mean, I'm someone that has ancient cars, and they run beautifully. I take care of them. Right. The, to find old cars, I mean, that would have been, you know, bought off because of the age and the whatever and mm -hmm. taken out of the marketplace. Yeah, supply. I think that, that, that guest talking about 
the you know diminishing supply of whether it's energy, whether it's fossil fuel, whether it's cars. Then they went after ovens and stoves back then. There was a there was another thing. Cash for clunkers was extended into appliance stores. Yeah, yeah and, and they're trying to do it again now at gas ranges. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's just it's yes, it doesn't yeah, right. No, I, no I, it's a it's a very good point. It's a good point. It's it's kind of like the repurposed, rehashed, warmed over cash for clunkers and, uh, you know, wrapped in uh, in the Green New Deal <laughs> or whatever other late uh, program they want to promote. Crazy stuff. Now, uh, Billy, what's going on in uh, WLAD country? Well, we are in Connecticut. Uh, we're, we're in the greater New York area. There's 20 million people that are uh, moving out of New York and, and uh, the surroundings. So our Fairfield County is being gentrified. Uh, you know, we've been here for 93 years, where, I, where, where I'm calling you from. So we've seen a lot of uh, change. So uh, it's, it's a different culture. Uh, we have town meeting form of government, heavy, heavy duty citizen activism in, in local government and municipal government. That's all going away because the people that are coming in here from the New York metropolitan area, are used to more like a professional government, less, less, less reliance on people coming to meetings and hashing it out in an old-fashioned New England setting. So it's uh, for those of us that love town meeting form of government, with the amount of, uh, of power that individuals have to speak to government, uh, that could be lost in this change that we have. And, I'm, and Bethel is... In, in, not unique. This is happening in uh, uh, all of the area towns around, like, well, Richfield. You know, I don't want to name all the towns, but in the, yeah, if you're, we're, we're almost like a suburb of New York now. And uh, it's beautiful. People from New York that have fled because of the pandemic find our town fabulous. But there's those, these big, you know, they, there's this war against local zoning now. Government want they want regional government, yeah. but they have these transit-oriented districts. Yeah, fifteen-minute cities they're being dubbed. Well, we, we are we. My neighborhood is in the heart of this, and they, that, that whole premise that people are going to ride buses, walk, and uh, have bicycles. You know, this is just crazy. They they want people to be this way, but people aren't this way. And they're creating all of this infrastructure about people that no one's giving up cars. We have, you know, Rich, we have mass transit with no mass. We have buses that are virtually empty, driving around all day long. And the proponents of all this stuff will say 80% of the car, cars being driven have only one person in them. Well, the bus route that I live on, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a lot of times that there are nobody on the buses, zero. In the and with the pandemic, they gave free, uh, you know, they, they um, free free rides. They don't charge a fare. The fares are just going back in. So even government couldn't give away something for free that these people say is so essential and people want this, people want public <laughs> transit. We have empty, but, but our transit system here exists for the people that drive the bus, that service the bus, that administrate the bus. It's for the <laughs> right. workers. It's not really, public transportation, it's government transportation, right? We have no public. We have no, we have no, we have mass transit without mass. 
It's an empty <laughs> bus. Or a bus with three right, people. serving the government instead of serving the public. I got gotcha. you. I tell you, it's tough. Well, thank you for, for your, your thoughts. Uh, I, I love WLAD country. You guys have uh, some great hosts on that radio station. Uh, my guy, Bart Pasterna, is there. He's terrific. Uh, another buddy of mine who was a, a neighbor of mine at, for a little while, not in real life, like in a professional neighbor in the studio next door, Todd Schnitt. I know he's, um, he, he's uh, on that station. He's terrific. Joe Pags, another good guy. Uh, lots of good guys there. So you're in really good company on WLAD, Billy. I see him every Sunday night in a place. I, I'm a musician. I play in a restaurant, and he's there every Sunday night, and I play. And I'll tell him that we talked about him on Late in America all night. Uh, awesome. Radio. Yeah, definitely. Let him know. Send everybody my best. Well, awesome. I appreciate the call. Thanks for your, your uh, analysis, and I think it was a really spot-on comment uh, about kind of bunkers. Anyway, let's continue uh, the calls right after the break. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez and our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's continue our journey across the country. Let's check in with Tim in Galesburg, Illinois, WGIL. Tim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. Good evening. I uh, oh, really my. like your show. I think you're doing a great job. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Uh, you had the, the speaker on from Canada, the Mr. Knight. And then you yes. had a caller just on uh, from Connecticut, and he brought up some stuff that kind of went with what I was thinking. Is sure. I, I've been part of uh, the labor force in the United States for uh, 50 years now, and I've been in the unions and stuff, representative. I've been on city councils, uh, attended school board meetings. I've done my part, and so has my wife and my family. And, and it's getting down to the point, and I'm, I'm not hearing this enough from the media or the talk shows such as yourself, and, and, and I don't mean any disrespect, but... No, no, I, sure. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking out, about yet. Well, I can't figure out where the American people... We live in a country that was not founded without violence. And I'm not promoting violence, but we need to get back to the fact that this country was never founded peacefully it has not been kept peacefully right i guess and you're saying why why have we become so passive we're we're very passive just like your caller with from connecticut uh, these these out-of-towners come in uh, to these areas and they're taking over their government and stuff and running them well who's stopping them and that's the yeah. same way with what they're doing with uh, 
uh, like uh, down in Tennessee, you know, the people like that need to start standing up and saying, listen, no, no, this isn't going to happen anymore. But until we do, these liberals, these and I hate to say Democrats because not all Democrats feel this way. They're just going to run roughshod over everybody. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm, and no argument from me. And everybody sitting around scratching their head. Hundred percent. Listen, I, I I totally agree with you, and and I think sometimes we focus on the why too much as you know uh, rather than the how. And uh, I I think this is a very good conversation we're having, Tim, because several reasons. Nobody wants to call for violence. I don't believe, you know, maybe there are a handful of people that do, but I don't think you and I are those people. I agree with you. And this is a point, you know, one of my older brothers taught me. You know, I remember I was standing in the driveway and he just started pushing me, shoving me very hard <laughs> on my shoulder. And, and he just kept looking at me and goes, how long do you think people are going to take this? And he just one shove after the next. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, how long do you think people will take this? He's like, how long are you going to take it? And so I grabbed his hand. I was like, stop. And he was like, took long enough. And he said, it's amazing to me how people will let people just shove them around. And, uh, and I got the point that, you know, there are a lot of people that will get punched in the face and say, why are you punching me in the face? Rather than punching them back in the face <laughs> and, and returning the favor. And I feel that the passivity that has taken over our society is being used against us. It was once a virtue and it was upheld as a virtue and it's now a detriment. And I'm not, again, with you, I'm not calling for violence, but I am saying people have to realize that you can't just go running roughshod over people and, and just bullying people because ultimately they're, they're going to push you back. Uh, the question is when, and I think that was your question. So don't go anywhere because I want to get your follow-up on that. Uh, but we will continue with that right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Your calls and more, and we're going to continue with Tim quickly to finish his point. I'm Rich Valdez, 833-482-5337. We're coming right back. Give me three minutes. America, welcome back. I was just uh, fixing my hair during the break, and I want to continue with, with uh, Tim because I think it's a, an important point and one that I think oftentimes um, critics, uh, typically on the left, will will use. So that's it because they're very violent and blah, and it's not that's not the case. I think there's a it's a big difference between standing up for the things you believe in and and, and not allowing people to trample you, and you know calling for uh, you know a revolution. So. Tim, you know, I, I noticed you said you, you, you'd served, and I think that's the key, right? The, the, a, a big part of this is making sure that you are at your school board meetings and that you're doing all that. And it sounds like you're doing all that. And I think those who do a lot get frustrated very quickly because they're like, man, I'm doing all this, and, and for what? And I think the part of it is you've got to get others you know, to, to, to get to where you're at so that more people are doing it. But I agree with you. Uh, we have to be more assertive and we have to get in front of things rather than react to them from the back. 
Rich, I was recently reading a book on the American Revolution, and one of the facts that I found out that kind of astounded me was at the time before the war started, only 17% of the American population was either involved with it or wanted to be in that war and fought that war for our independence. That means 83% of the Americans at that time stood around to see which side they were going to be on. Well, that, I don't think that's changed, though. Honestly, with any war, with with our right, I think right now we're at one percent of military service in the country, and that's today, like twenty twenty two numbers. So uh, it hasn't changed. The large, the the vast majority of people uh, aren't involved in in the volunteer military. Thank God we have a large population, and you know, a small one percent is, is is a big deal. Uh, but that's that's kind of where we are. It's it's a going trend. Well, I'll tell you, we need to thank God for that 17% for the last 200 and, and what, 30, 40 years now. Amen. Really do. Amen to that. I, I don't doubt what you're saying at all, and I, I agree with you 100%. And, I, and again, good point, and I, I'm happy to talk about it a little more. Um, every now and again, I do one of those kind of uh, call to actions where I try to get people excited because I, I think we, we need to, to kind of stay fired up about what's important and, and stay motivated to be activists in some way, one way or another, uh, because without that, somebody else will become an activist and run all over you. And it's a very good point. We do have to be more assertive. We have to be tougher. And, and I think this is why, um, you know, politicians uh, that are on brand with like Trump, where he, he, you know, if he takes a shot, he gives back one, two or three. It, it, he resonates with people, right? He's popular with people because people are saying, you know what? He's doing and saying what I wish I could do and say. And I think people find that refreshing. Right. And I, just one last point is, sure. you know, the NRA and all that, I've belonged to that over the years myself. I'm an avid hunter, a fish, I'm a sportsman. And, you know, a, a lot of these people uh, in the NRA and citizens that, that believe in firearms and stuff have to start understanding the Second Amendment in the Constitution was not there so you could stockpile ammo and stockpile firearms. I, I have nothing against buying firearms and ammo. Buy all you want. You have that right. But look at the intent of the Second Amendment in the Constitution, and the intent is to protect you from your maybe yeah, well, I your think, government. Well, I, I think you're, you're – you're, um you're right. It's protecting us from our own government. And I think that's why many people stockpile uh, ammo and whatnot is because if there comes a time where you have to protect yourself against your government and the government we have today has advanced weaponry, um, it's going to take a lot more than a six shooter, right, to, to, to protect yourself against an incursion from your own government. And, and I think that's probably why people are, you know, erring on the side of caution, saying, you know, I'd rather have more than, than get caught with my pants down and not have enough. But that's just my two cents. Tim, I thank you for the call. Galesburg, Illinois, WGIL, excellent points. Uh, let us continue with the calls here. Let's go to TJ. He's in uh, the Ozarks, Missouri, KRMS. TJ, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. <clears throat> I heard a program on Sunday, and it was a religious program, and it said that 
we need to balance budget amendment because that's what the states and the cities and the counties do. And I just want to scream at the radio. You don't know what you're talking about. They print money in the cities, counties, and states, and they don't balance their budgets. But it's a dirty little secret they learned a long time ago through the bonding people. They sell bonds, and selling bonds is the same as selling printing money. They yeah. actually owe more, more money than the federal government does through all the cities, counties, states, utilities, mm. school districts. Our school district in Johnson County, which is one of the wealthiest counties in America, which I moved out of because it's getting out of control, they now have three judges from New York there. They can't find a judge in Kansas. Three million people. <laughs> They're importing. Well, that, that's all by design, obviously. Uh, uh, yes, but the bonding, when they build a new school in our area, and one of them I wrote a letter on, it's called Money Pit High. It had everything. It has space simulators. It unbelievable TV stations. And these kids can't drive a car. And yet, <laughs> Look what they're putting into these schools in millions, and it's all bonding that they sell, which indebts everybody. And most people don't know how much they owe in taxes or paying in taxes on their house until they pay their house off. And then they get their tax bills separate, and they go, well, what's all this? Well, they've been right. paying it for 30 years. They just hit it in their payment. You're being taxed to death. Our taxes in Johnson County, Kansas, was $2,000 per capita just for the county. It was 600,000 people with a $1.2 billion budget uh, four years ago when I left and went to the Ozarks. And I went to the Ozarks because it's much cheaper taxes and the people are much more in control and they're much more conservative. They're not the bleeding heart left-wing liberals that Johnson County now has. Well, TJ, God bless you. I'm glad you you, you uh, made a move and it was a, su a successful one. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, lamentably, this is the system that we're in. And I had a conversation today at a, at a window tinting place of all places. And it was about that. Um, it was about, you know, the economy and our structure of economy, how we, we print money, we sell our debt uh, while we owe all this money and then, you know, bonding and whatnot. And, and it works. And it doesn't really work, but it's working. But you, we can now see with the, the deals that are being cut with by China with uh, Brazil and uh, Mexico and others where they're little by little squeezing out uh, the U.S. dollar. It's because they, they've realized, you know, this thing, they realized 40 years ago that this is a house of cards that could come down at any point. But I think they're getting, they believe that it's getting closer and closer to coming down. And I also think they want to bring it down and they'll do whatever they can to bring it down so that they can benefit uh, from, from, you know, being a, a reserve currency or creating a reserve currency. So, yeah, precarious situation, uh, to say the least. And, again, Godspeed on your move from Kansas uh, to Missouri. Uh, let us continue with Karen. Karen is in Dallas, Texas, KLIF, excellent station. Karen, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. Uh, I enjoy your programming. I thought your listeners you. would be interested in uh, finding out what it's like when part of a cartel sets up residence. Uh, I have a little two-acre farm in a rural county. We're about an hour from Dallas, mm -hmm. outside of Midlothian, Texas. And months ago... Um, there were Hispanic men dressed all in black, and I saw them with rifles, and they were shooting at some animals, and I was alarmed. 
I got a hold of my neighbor, who is a land developer, and I said, do these men work for you? And he said, well, they're on my property a lot. I don't have any idea who they are, and they're always armed. So he got a hold of the sheriff's department. We don't have a police department in this rural county. We have a sheriff's department. Sure. And they sent over a uh, deputy car, and it sat on the ridge for a week deserted. And I I was alarmed at what happened to the driver, but I didn't hear anything that he was injured. I think he just ran for it and left the uh, deputy car for a week. And mm. it sat there for a week. Um, these men are very well armed. There's at least 15 of them. Shots have been fired frequently. I've I've had shots hit my farm. I have six little pet goats, and uh, sometimes they're terrified and, you know, but this is what it's like. Um, When, and this can happen anywhere in Texas with the open borders. Yeah. Any rural area, they can set up residence. And about three three days after uh, this happened, I saw armored vehicles approaching. And I don't know how they were brought in by trucks or something. The word got out that they they better do something. I look out my window, and it's not unusual to see a couple of tanks rolling along a ridge line. Wow, so I mean, tanks I, and armored pictures. vehicles. Are these uh, like the Texas Department of Public Safety, or do you think these are the cartels that are operating these vehicles? What's your assessment of that? Vehicle. It's ours, um, I'm sure, because they're, you know, they look like regular tanks and regular tank colors. Um, I'm a widow of a Navy veteran, so, you know, I'm pretty well acquainted with military things. But they've sent in uh, several tanks and armored vehicles, but they don't seem to do anything. They keep them at bay. Right. Well, and again, Uh, I don't know if this is an exercise, a military exercise, positioning, trying to uh, scare them off with uh, the presence of it. It could be a number of things, and uh, I guess it's a good thing if if you feel that you know the local police, the government, whatnot, National Guard, uh, Texas DPS, wh- whomever is taking an active approach to you know trying to secure that that portion of uh, of the the area. However, um, yeah, this is not something that I've heard for the first time. I just couldn't believe it was all the way up in Dallas. The People I know in McAllen and in Brownsville have been dealing with this for a long time. A lot of ranchers down there have had people trespassing, setting up shop in their in their homes or in you know in in carriage houses or garages or barns, and it's just this has been going on. I, I had a uh, I worked with a group of people down there in 2014, and this was happening back then. So it's clearly and again that was during the Obama Biden administration, and kind of took a, re- a reprieve uh, when when Trump was in office, and it seems like we're right back at, at where we were um, in bad shape at the border. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Karen, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I have to take a pause here, but we're coming right back to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at 
night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so I'm watching a video. Um, I'm reading an article about a, a, a real news story here. But um, there's a video, you know, they play these videos that go on, on alongside the article. And it, it has a video of somebody saying, I bet you didn't know. And it shows them taking the toilet seat off of their toilet and placing it into their dishwasher to be sanitized and i thought hold on a second a toilet seat in your dishwasher i think you're gonna need to sanitize the dishwasher after after that it sounds pretty gross to me anyway if you've done that please let me know i'm, I'm really interested in hearing your opinions on how well that works uh let us continue uh, where did I want to go right here? Somebody's been on hold for a little bit uh, and I'm trying to get to you as soon as possible. Bill Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. Uh, you're listening out of Rolla, Montana. Uh, excuse me, Rolla, Missouri. Go right ahead, Bill. Yes, sir. How are you tonight? A great uh, good Friday evening. God bless Jefferson. you, sir. Amen. Thank you for your greetings. And uh, I'm doing well. And uh, happy good Friday to you, too. Anyway, you had a. Uh, I listen uh, in a Jefferson City to KTTR and Rolla 99.7 FM and uh, mm -hmm. Rolla St. James. But I wanted to talk to you about. I believe you had a guest on the other night of talking about uh, uh, Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, a caller had called in and was making the case uh, about this story about Clarence Thomas defrauding everyone uh, because Yeah, of well, anyway, uh, Clarence came to Missouri. I think it was his, <laughs> his only chance to redeem himself, and Jack Danforth, the Missouri Attorney General, took him up on it, and he really turned out to be a great guy. And uh, I followed him, and... Uh, seen a couple of videos on uh, Clarence, and uh, he was uh, just seemed like he he wasn't an Uncle Tom, and his his story of uh, coming from Georgia, uh, you know, just absolute poverty, and going all the way to the Supreme Court, and surviving all the tests in the uh, Supreme Court building, that I just thought it was uh, uh, three cheers for old uh, Thomas. Clarence yeah, Thomas. you know what, Bill? I think you're right. I think it's an amazing story of the American dream. It's an American success story. And uh, I think, his, I forget his name. I want to say it was Billy, but I forget what town he was calling from, uh, what city and state. But, um, yeah, I think his comments were a little bit heavy-handed and, uh, and, you know, rude in, in that sense where he was insulting um, Justice Thomas, where I just think it was unwarranted. But we will continue with your calls and more uh, straight ahead. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. I'm going to get to, uh, hopefully we have time to get to everybody. Butte, Montana, Atlanta, Georgia, Zanesville, Ohio. Uh, hang in there. There's more to come straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, by the way, no, I'm not going to be putting my toilet seat in my dishwasher. That's not <laughs> going to happen. Thank God. <laughs> yes, um, and not to split hairs with you, but I believe the man that was talking about Clarence Thomas' name was Jerome. That's how close oh, I Oh, right, you're right. And, Thank you, correct. Yeah, and also, um, I dislike your opinion on this Riley Gaines thing that's going on. She was oh, attacked today by I saw the video. gender group. Yeah, Let me what tell do you, you think about that? I mean, these people are, they're like violent. It's going back to yeah, the conversation ahead, we had with Tim, right? You, you, you got to be ready for these moments. I'm not telling anybody to go out there and fight, but if somebody's attacking you, you've got to defend yourself. She had some security around her, so I think that was why she kind of like just kept scurrying out. And they were like, why are you running away? Why are you running away? But um, I think, you, again, I, I am... I'm going to call myself petty and probably a part of the minority, not a racial or ethnic minority, but the minority that thinks, you know, people that say things like they're not worth it or just walk away, be the bigger person. I am the smaller person. I'm probably not going to walk away. I, I'm sorry. I, I, do, I don't think I'm going to. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to get into something I can't get out of, but I just can't see myself being accosted that way and, and not being triggered. Um, that's just the reality for me. And I think this girl, she's an athlete. Um, she probably did the right thing. She's a professional. She probably has a lot of sponsors and endorsements and, you know, she had to get out of there. But, uh, I, I just think if that was my kid, I wish I could have been there for her. Uh, it, it was a, a, an ugly thing to watch, to see how people treat you. But sadly it's not new. I just want to give a quick uh, shout out to Steve in Atlanta on WGKA and Phil in Butte, Montana on KXLT. Thanks for calling in. I'm sorry the clock is kicking me out and the music's coming in. Uh, but I wish you all a great Easter uh, Resurrection Sunday. Thank you all for being with us this good Friday. We'll be back on Monday. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless and enjoy that Easter with your friends and family. Until then, I am Rich Valdez. Keep it locked right here because we got more radio programming coming through. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.